It is about that time that, to dismember this awful pay-per-view from 2006 known as ECW's December to Dismember on a Blind Date Diaries edition of Kicking Out at Two this week. I'm your host, Dave Rosenbluth, and uh, yeah... I, I, I said it. It's time to dismember this. It's time to, to give you my first-hand account of what many are calling the worst pay-per-view in the history of professional wrestling. From a financial standpoint, it's up there. Um, from a creative standpoint, it definitely, definitely reaches the top. Um right there with like Great American Bash 1991 or... God, I don't know. Uh, any anything that's you know anything that's you know related to uh, you know WCW towards the tail end of uh, of their tenure in 2000, even early 2001. This pay per view right here ranks up with those as some of the worst. Um, and uh, you know, before we get into the the dismembering of this pay per view this week, uh, if you would like to give us your thoughts on. ECW's December 2 Dismember from 2006 and hit us up on both of our social medias, one or both or none at all, but please hit us up on social media, facebook.com forward slash kicking out at 2 as well as our Twitter our handles at kicking out 2 K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T and the number 2 alright, you guys can do that over there, you can let us know what you thought of this pay-per-view am I too harsh with with the uh, the review, the recap of this blind date, if you will. Um, go back to 2006 and see if this state, this pay-per-view um, isn't as bad as I'm claiming it to be, or as I will claim it to be as we go on with this recap. You can hit us up on social media and do that. You can also find links to archive shows and all kinds of great stuff on both of our social media pages over there on Facebook and Twitter. Um, you know, you can also find this show each and every week on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network on Podbean by searching Retromania with a W. You'll find this show, Marking Out the Day's Weekend Warriors, Gaijin Wrestling Radio, Hulkamania's Dead, Origins of Attitude, and all kinds of great bonus content over there on the Retromania Pro Wrestling Podcast Network, searching Retromania with a W. You can find it in any podcast platform available, whether it's Apple Podcasts, Google Play, um, <clears throat> Stitcher, Spreaker, excuse me, Spotify, anything available, you can find this show and all the great shows of the Retromania Network under the Retromania tab by searching Retromania with a W. Um, for those of you new to the game, for those of you that are not familiar with the Blind Date Diary concept, I take a show that I've never watched before from beginning to end, and I go back and I watch it, and then I'll give you guys my Blind Date Diary, my recap, if you will. Um, Many, many years ago, my brother Daryl picked this DVD up because he was a DVD collector. He tried to create his own WWE network, similar to me. Um, we, we both had a lot of the same DVDs for a long time, whether it was the documentaries, the pay-per-views, the retrospectives, stuff like that. Um, anyhow, long story short, um, Daryl got this pay-per-view on DVD, and uh, I only watched the main event, which was the... Um, which was the, the, the Extreme Elimination Chamber match. Um, I didn't watch anything else. Because I just heard bad reviews. I heard it was awful. It was poorly booked. Um, the crowd wasn't into it. Um, the build-up for the pay-per-view. Everything else, with the exception of this match uh, that I just referred to, the Extreme Elimination Chamber match, had no build-up whatsoever or very, very minimal in a short period of time. Um, this was also during a period of time where WWE added ECW as a third brand. They were trying to give it its own pay-per-view. They had the success of the two one-night stand pay-per-views, 05 and 06, and uh, they wanted to give it its own standalone pay-per-view and uh, try and 
compete with Raw and SmackDown individual single brand pay-per-views and um, this was a very very shitty attempt I'll give you my blind date diary right now and just tell you that I will never watch this show again after watching this show I will never watch the show again I won't even watch one match from this show because it was that bad of a show um, let, let, me, let me just put it to you this way you ever go on one of those blind dates where the only thing that's good about the blind date is the meal and when the date ends that's what this pay-per-view is. That's what ECW December 2, December 2006 was for me after I just watched it recently on the WWE Network. If you guys don't believe me, then log into your WWE Network accounts and go watch this. Try to watch it with an open mind um, or try to understand where at least I'm coming from. Um, if there's things that you think that are good, and give me your reasons why. Like I said, hit us up on social media, but um, I guarantee you I will never, ever watch this godforsaken fucking pay-per-view ever again um yeah it was just that bad so bad that the james brown arena in augusta georgia which is not a traditional ecw town only had 4800 people in attendance for this event um i believe the arena sits about like eight close to ten thousand people and not even half were in attendance for this event on December the 3rd, 2006. This pay-per-view was so bad that only 90,000 people bought this fucking pay-per-view. That's domestically and worldwide. 55,000 domestically in the United States. The remaining wherever else in the world. Um, the lowest pay-per-view buy rate in WWE history before the advent of the WWE Network. And over time, WWE would stray away from traditional pay-per-view and stick to streaming um, up until this day um, yeah that's how bad this pay-per-view was so why don't we just why don't we just get this shit over with okay why don't we just get this shit over with and 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 allow me to give you the worst blind date diary in the history of kicking out of two it's only our third one and I'm gonna give it to you and I'm gonna be brutally honest and I'm gonna be very opinionated and just you know, please, if, if you like this show, I apologize. Sorry, not sorry. Um, we get an opening video montage hyping the main event, which is the Extreme Elimination Chamber. Big Show, Bobby Lashley, CM Punk, Test, Rob Van Dam, and Sabu with, with voiceovers from the participants as well as Paul Heyman, who is the de facto figurehead boss of the ECW brand. Um... It was a solid opening video. Uh, WWE production quality was still top-notch at that time. Um, I mean, it still is to this day, but um, you know, it was still good. Um, I, guess, I, I guess you could say it got you excited for the pay-per-view. Um, live from the Augusta, Georgia at the James Brown Arena, Joey Styles previews the Extreme Elimination Chamber as it's shown hanging above the ring, and the camera cuts to him and Taz, who welcome us. Um, I will say, watching this show, the bright spot about this was Taz on commentary. He was fucking hilarious, and I've always dug Taz. In the beginning, it, it was a rough start to really... Um, you know, get into him as a commentator, but he grew on me over time. He just reminded me of like, you know, he's a, he, he had that that New York, you know, Long Island accent. You know, guy from the Northeast. He just sounded like a wrestling fan, like somebody you sat on the uh, on on the couch with and you watched wrestling with. The way that he talked and interacted, but he also brought a perspective of being a former wrestler when it came down to the psychology of some of the matches. Um, Taz had a good mixture of that. He was, he was relatable to individuals in the business as well as people who are not in the business who are just fans that are watching. Um, I thought that was what was great about Taz, you know, and he wasn't your traditional color commentator. Um, 
Our first match here is Eminem taking on the Hardys. Um, at the time, both teams were not affiliated with the ECW brand during this period of the brand extension. Eminem was both split on Raw and SmackDown, respectively, and the same went for the Hardys. Um, and clearly, if, if you can't tell already, this was a move to beef up this lackluster show. I mean... Um, it was it, there was nothing going into this pay per view. That match and the chamber were the only advertised matches on this card, um, which is going to be a ongoing tread as I recap uh, the rest of these matches on this show. Even the announcers on commentary mentioned that both Matt and Jeff are going to pursue singles careers following this match, win, lose, or draw. So um, you know you could tell that they're trying to make this a special match because this is like a one-time only pairing. Um, and then, you know, the Hardys hadn't faced each other in, or teamed against other teams um, in a few years. Jeff had just recently returned at that time earlier in 2006, and uh, Eminem had just reformed for this match in particular um, uh, on the, uh, the the December to December pay-per-view against the Hardys. And they were, I think Mercury had an injury or something, and Nitro was on his own, and Mercury came back to SmackDown, and, you know, they, they muddied the waters of the brand extension like they have done in the past, um, not sticking true to the formula, but um, this was a very fun match. Um, crowd seemed to be into it. Um, you had the Hardys using their uh, aerial moves to, uh, you know, quicken the pace of the match. While Eminem, who had their own, you know, aerial assault from time to time, they slowed things down. A lot of double team maneuvers, a lot of frequent tags. Um, there was a funny part in the match where um, Molina would get involved and the referee was distracted by, I think, Mercury, and Molina would get on the apron and give uh, Matt Hardy a head scissors, and she was wearing, like, a really revealing skirt. And Taz says, um, um, hello, I'll take a head scissors from Molina over here. And uh, I just thought that was pretty funny. Um, that got a pop out of me. That's why I love Taz on commentary. Um, at one point in the match, uh, as Eminem is in control, they used the, uh, the the Hardy's uh, poetry in motion uh, move sequence um, on uh, on Matt Hardy, and then that results in Jeff getting a hot tag after Matt breaks free from Mercury. Um, Jeff hits all his signature moves: twist of fate, front face suplex, etc. Um, you get all four guys mixing it up as the referee can't keep it under control with some planchas, some tope suicidas, and galore to pop the crowd um, from both teams. This is where I think the action started to pick up. Um, Jeff Hardy then misses a swanton bomb when Nitro moves Mercury, and then Nitro delivers a springboard drop kick for a two count. Eminem once again slows things down and takes to the assault on Jeff, which I would like to call the Ricky Morton heat spot, putting the boots to the stronger of the two baby faces. That was a standard formula in Rock and Roll Express message. Put the heat on Ricky and give the hot tag to Robert, and you're gonna get the girls going crazy like uh, like like they just saw the Beatles. I mean, it was it was it was formulaic, but it worked every single time. Um, Get a lot more frequent tags and double team moves by Eminem to Jeff with a number of unsuccessful attempts at winning the match. Um, at some point during this match, you hear the crowd trying to keep that ECW vibe alive, chanting, she's a crack whore, clap, 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 to Molina. Um, that managed to die down pretty quickly. As a matter of fact, I thought it was too desperate of an attempt um, to, to keep that vibe going. I just thought it was rather silly. This is a WWE crowd. Augusta, Georgia is not your traditional ECW audience. Let's be honest here. Um, Jeff would then counter a double slingshot into a whisper in the wind to both Eminem, setting up the not-so-hot tag to Matt Hardy, who's a house of fire. Crowd didn't really get into it. I guess that Ricky Morton spot didn't work. Um, 
Matt nails a side effect on both of Eminem. Um, and like I said, crowd's not into this comeback as much as I thought they'd be. Even though this is a very good match, just a fun match. Um, this was the meal. This was the meal that I enjoyed on this blind date, if you will. Um, you know, every time you would think that the Hardys would finish the match, Eminem would manage to counter and slow it back down. Um, this was a cool spot. You uh, you saw a, a double superplex off the top rope from both Hardys to Eminem uh, in stereo, corner to corner, um, which then results in Melina distracting the referee, only for Jeff to confront her and then block her from striking him, then ducking as he sees Johnny Nitro coming in the way, and Nitro drop kicks Melina in the face inadvertently off the ring apron. Uh, Jeff would then roll up Nitro for only a two count. Um, Eminem would then come back and hit the snapshot on Jeff for a two count, which is broken up by Matt. And the finish to this match comes when Matt hits a double neck breaker to Eminem off the second rope, which then sets up Jeff to swanton bond both men at the same time at 22 minutes and 43 seconds for the win. Like I said, a really fun opening match. And I'll be honest with you, if you were to stop watching this show from this point forward, you wouldn't be missing much because... It just goes all downhill from here. We then get Joey and Taz discussing the main event in the Extreme Elimination Chamber, which then cuts to a video from ECW.com as RVD discusses his opportunity in tonight's main event. He understands the risks he has to take in this match to become the ECW champion and adding more importance to tonight's match in this video. Um, or his statement, I should say, adds more importance to this match. Um... In the video, solid, solid piece here, trying to get us into the main event of the show. Like I said, the build-up has been lackluster at best. Um, I think it was like two weeks they had to, to to build up for this pay-per-view, and they did a you know with what they had. It just wasn't it just wasn't enough here. So they tried to go a little extra on the show. Um, Matt Stryker's out next, and he's working that school teacher gimmick. Um, a character that I feel probably would have thrived in the original ECW. Um, the, the, you know, he, he he was good enough where he can get that kind of heat. Um, he grabs the mic and, and addresses his opponent for this evening, Balls Mahoney. Another unadvertised match with no buildup. Stryker wants to remind us that the chaos that is set to that, that is set to incur, occur inside the chamber this evening, and he feels obligated to restore order to a society that is extremely violent. He then announces his match will take place under extreme rules, much to the the, the, the pleasure of the audience. Got a pretty decent pop. Um, he then states clearly that the match will be extremely enforced rules. Striker rules, if you will. And he instructs the referee on what to do. No eye gouging, no hair pulling, no top rope moves, a.k.a. the Bill Watts era of WCW in 1992. No foul language. I mean, you're just kind of like picking away and picking away and picking away at what ECW was all about. The, 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 the bread and butter, what made them so cutting edge and edgy was that foul language. I mean, come on, you can't say the F word or the S word. Like, I mean, it's just not an ECW show without some F bombs and, 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 and all kinds of vulgar language. For real. Seriously. Not so serious. Very sarcastic. Jesus Christ! Um, that's what that, that's what they're doing here. Like they're just like picking apart at ECW and and really kind of in a tongue in cheek manner poking fun at what made it so popular um, in their own WWE way. Because this isn't ECW; it's WWECW. Um, like I said, I would have loved to have seen how far Stryker would have gone in the old ECW. I think he would have done some good things. Um, Balls Mahoney's out next. And um, 
He's set to. He's he's, he's ready to go. He, he he wants to you know defend that flag of ECW against Matt Stryker. Um, Camera spent a lot of time showing a, a picture of Stryker's face on the back of his tights, which uh, the announcers mentioned. And Styles says on commentary, "You gotta wonder about a man that wants to sit on his own face," which busts out. You know, Taz Taz busts out laughing. I got a chuckle out of it too. Um, probably the only highlight of this match was the, uh, the 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 commentary here. They were just kind of busting on Stryker, and uh, even Balls' appearance too. Taz said something about like he's got no teeth left, or his teeth are missing, and made a joke about having summer teeth or something. Something like that. Um, even the announcers at this point, with their commentary, they know this show's about to go to shit. I don't know if they read the the the, the production sheet meeting, before, you know, a few hours before, knew it was going to be a bad show, and just figured they would try to make it as entertaining as possible. Um, but yeah, they, even they know they could. You could tell in their voices, at least from my opinion, that they didn't really care, and or I wouldn't say they didn't really care, but they knew that this was this was not what ECW was, and you know, this was a a polished up. You know, overproduced version of ECW, and and Taz and Styles both knew that that just wasn't going to fly with the audience. Um, this match is not great, but it's not terrible, and uh, you know, with no build up, crowd didn't seem to care. Um, hardly any heat. He had a couple of striker sucks chance, a few uh, you know balls chances. He hits a couple of right hands. Um, but yeah, nothing, nothing really to write home about. Finish comes when Balls lands a modified version of D'Lo Brown's lowdown on Striker for the win in very anticlimactic fashion at seven minutes and twelve seconds. Um, you could tell that uh, they were into this match because they hardly reacted to the finish. Um, we then see CM Punk warming up backstage for tonight's main event, and as he's warming up, the camera then cuts to Sabu, who's laid out backstage with officials and EMTs tending to him. Paul Heyman shows up asking what happened. And that he's concerned Sabu won't make it to the main event tonight, as we see Sabu unresponsive. You could hear in the background the crowd chanting bullshit as the announcers try to figure out who took out Sabu. This is, I think, uh, a point where a lot of fans um, over the years that I've spoken to um, feel like, you know, this is the the real picking apart of ECW and, and kind of putting that old guard down to, you know, you know, to rest for good um, by doing something like this, um, taking someone who was a big figure in ECW and um, taking him out of the title equation in the main event. Um, our next match here, excuse me, our next match here, it's easy for me to say, Elijah Burke and Sylvester Turkai taking on the FBI's Little Guido and Mama Luke, who's accompanied by Trinity. Um, Elijah Burke grabs the mic and puts him, puts him and Turkai over, proclaiming that they are going to feast on their opponents as the FBI make their way to the ring. Once again, another unadvertised match with no buildup that the fans really could care less about. Um, they're even booing before the action begins. That's how that, that's how much they're not into this match and probably not into this show. Um, they only pop for Trinity, to be honest with you, who escorted the FBI to the ring. Um, and pretty much this match is a, is is designed to display um, Sylvester Turkai. Um, Power moves, manhandling of his smaller opponents. It's borderline an 80s WWF squash match on Wrestling Challenge. Um, I mean, Elijah Burke would get his shine in, you know, here and there for a bit, but we all know how much Vince loves big guys. And uh, it looked like they were really, you know, planning to focus on Sylvester Turkai as, like, their big man on the ECW brand. Um, 
And at this point, I, I, I don't blame fans for, for getting the feeling that this show is all about, like like I said, phasing the old guard out from the original ECW and trying to showcase the future of a new vision of ECW. Uh, it's just a hunch. I mean, I, like I said, don't blame fans for feeling this way. That's what I felt watching this, too. Um, this was a clear case of, you know, all right, we're going to give you your ECW, but... You know, once we do, we're we're gonna put it out to pasture. We're gonna tell you what we think ECW should be. Um, I mean, Trinity was the highlight of this match. She was nice to look at. I mean, she she had that like ECW slutty presentation, reminiscent to the old days of like Francine and Dawn Marie. I mean, Trinity. You know, people say, oh, she got a man face, but I mean, she you know, a good looking body. She had a little rocking body on her. Um, Burke hits his Elijah Experience, a.k.a. Jeff Jarrett, stroke on Guido for the win at 6 minutes and 41 seconds. Crowd begins a small TNA chant, which I thought was funny, um, possibly directed at Trinity, who spent time in the early days of TNA at the Asylum, the old uh, Nashville uh, fairgrounds. Um, Turkai hits uh, Guido with a post-match muscle buster because apparently they didn't kill these guys enough. I mean, this wasn't even a contest at this point. I just thought it was... Oh, God. It was, like I said, just not good. Not good for the ECW originals. Um, we, we, we cut to the back where we see Sabu getting wheeled into an ambulance as RVD and CM Punk look on. Um, so it looks like Sabu is out of the match. Um, and, and out next is the great Kali and Davari because that's exactly what ECW embodies, the fucking great Kali. My God. <sighs> Davari comes out with a mic and he's speaking in Farsi and I have no under I have no idea what he's saying. Um, very similar to Iron Sheik promos of the eighties, but this time it's got no heat whatsoever. Um, Tommy Dreamer makes his way to the ring, coming out to a mild pop and minimal Tommy chants from the audience at the James Brown Arena in Augusta, Georgia. Um, they probably would have popped if Tommy Dreamer came out to to fucking living in America, um, you know, like uh, like a, like uh, you know Apollo Creed did in Rocky Four, or uh, you know if 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 Tommy Dreamer came out um, to uh, the the Eddie Murphy James Brown parody from Saturday Night Live, too hot in the hot tub. I mean, they probably would have popped bigger than Tommy Dreamer coming out to a generic version of his old ECW song uh, that was a parody of the Allison Chains Man in the Box song. Um, yeah, Dreamer's basically here to legitimize um, Kali and Davari as top stars in this ECW brand, which sounds like what he was doing, uh, you know, and picking up right where he left off from 2001. Um, that seemed to be something that um, he, um, you know, he was he he had done for himself uh, from time to time with C.W. Anderson and other names like Carino and um, you know. Uh, all the, the the young guys the ECW was bringing in towards the end, um, even Rhino. Um, so um, anyhow, um, yeah, this match, third match in a row, unadvertised, but with minimal buildup. Like I said, minimal buildup on TV. They they brought Kali in and he was going through enhancement talent and old ECW guys like Stevie Richards and and Al Snow. I mean, it, it was just you know, like I said, it was it was Vince's way of 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 giving the ECW original fans this slow, agonizing, painful death of their baby. 
It was Vince's way of saying, you want it so bad, I'm going to give it to you, and then I'm going to kill it right in front of you, and you're going to have no choice but to like it. Um, that's what this was. Um, and that's what this whole concept was with the ECW um, uh, reboot, relaunch in 2006. Um, the announcers are still speculating who took out Sabu rather than putting over the match um, that nobody seemed to care about. I mean, come on. Give us, give us a reason to care, you know? I mean, I get you're trying to tell a story, but, like, give us a reason to care. Um, at one point, the referee ejects Kali from the match because he got involved. Um, now, he didn't ring the bell. Why didn't he ring the bell? Is this another disqualification match? Why did he kick Kali out? I mean, he watched Kali manhandle Dreamer on the outside, and he threw him out. That should be grounds for a disqualification. But there's no disqualifications in ECW, or is there? I don't know. The fucking rules were just thrown out the window at this point. Um, nobody seemed to care. Finish came when Davari rolled Dreamer up with a schoolboy and got a handful of trunks for the win at 7 minutes and 22 seconds. Once again, another match nobody cared about. Nobody even cared about the finish. And the steady decline continues on this blind date. Um, I'll be honest with you. If I ordered this pay-per-view, I think I would have been very disappointed. I, I, I probably... I probably would have tuned it out. I mean, I really would have. You know, I mean, if I spent 30 or 40 bucks on this piece of shit, um, I, I, in 2006, yeah, I probably would have, like, held on to hope that, and being the optimistic wrestling fan that I am that the show's going to get better. And, but I would have also at the same time tortured myself to have to watch this fucking horse shit. Um, Dreamer would chase Davari up the ramp, only to be met by the great Kali behind the curtain, who then choke slams him on the ramp. Um, this was probably the only point in time in this segment where the audience actually gave a shit about what was going on. Um, you get a camera close-up of Dreamer uh, lying on the, the, the ramp, telling doctors that he can't feel his feet. Um, yeah, I mean, just come on. Tommy Dreamer, the embodiment of ECW, and you're just killing him off too. Jesus, man. Ridiculous. Um, they show a few more replays of the slam. As all of a sudden, Dreamer just magically stands up. He could feel his feet again, only to collapse and crawl to the back with a small, teeny tiny ECW chant uh, from the crowd. Um, we get Heyman shown walking around backstage, bumping into Hardcore Holly, who informs of the situation involving Sabu and his absence from the main event. He informs Holly that he's replacing Sabu, shakes his hand, and wishes him the best of luck. We then go back to Joey Styles and Taz, who speculate that Heyman, who originally wanted Holly in the match to begin with, is now all of a sudden, he now all of a sudden puts him in this match after Sabu is mysteriously attacked, adding further speculation that this may be something Heyman planned from the get-go. Aha! We're playing a game of Clue here on ECW December to December 2006. I think this show's got potential. I do. I think it's got potential. I mean, who did it? Who attacked Sabu? Was it the random mid-card jobber behind the catering food truck with the crowbar in the back? You'll have to just find out by playing the continuous game of ECW's December to Dismember clue right here on Kick It Out at 2. Yeah. I mean, nobody cared. I mean, the, the fans were chanting bullshit. Um, you could hear it through the screen. Um, I mean, Hardcore Holly, I, uh, 
they were trying to give him something meaningful to do um, because he had been with the company for a long time. I mean, at this point, like he had already peaked like six years prior. His run with Crash, the stuff with the hardcore title, the 24-7 stuff. Like you had already seen the best of him. You know, he was just there to kind of, I guess, help groom some of the younger guys. I don't know, but nobody gave a shit. Like you really think people believed Hardcore Holly was going to win the ECW championship in the Extreme Elimination Chamber match? Come on, give me a break. Um, our next match, another unadvertised match, is Mike Knox and Kelly Kelly face Kevin Thorne and Ariel in a mixed tag team match. Real smart move. Put two heel tandems with no history of facing each other, having interaction with each other on television in an unadvertised match on the pay-per-view. Kelly Kelly would grab the mic and uh, she would stand in the corner kind of crouched over in a very awkward um, manner, letting, letting the fans know that she wishes CM Punk luck in tonight's Extreme Elimination Chamber main event, which causes Knox to get upset as their opponents make their way down to the ring. Man, nobody, nobody, nobody gave a shit about this match. I didn't even care about this match. I mean, it was painful just to sit through this match. Um, they only wanted to see the girls do their thing. Um, the crowd was just, you know, catcalling the girls that were on the apron at the time, you know, whistling at Kelly Kelly or even Ariel, which, you know, they're not, you know, bad to look at. But, um, you know, they wanted the girls in. When the girls got the tag and they came in, the crowd popped. Once they started locking up, it was dead. And, um, yeah, it was just, they'd rather look at them than wrestle. And But I'm glad that today, women's wrestling, at least in WWE, is leap years apart from what I had to watch in that abomination of a mixed tag team match. Um, the finish comes when Kelly goes to tag Mike Knox, and he refuses to tag her, leaving Kelly to take the beating from Ariel and a... God-awful, ugly, choke, leg-sweep combo for the win at 7 minutes and 43 seconds. Um, she would continue to choke. Uh, Ariel would continue to choke Kelly Kelly post-match. And all of a sudden, the Sandman's music hits. And you see him in the stands coming down to the ring to take care of business. Um, now, I mean, l l let's be honest here. I know Sandman is all entrance. But with his name value that he brought to the 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 reputation and the brand that is ECW, you would think that they would have found a better role for him on this show. I mean, his involvement and the way he was introduced, it made sense. But given the circumstances with the roster at this time, maybe he should have played a bigger part on this show. Maybe he should have had a match. Maybe he should have been involved in the title the, the, the title picture. Um, you get your usual Sandman stuff. He comes in, he beats a shove, Kevin Thorne with the Singapore cane, chases him up the ramp, beats him some more. Um, basically getting a strong reaction from the audience. Um, the best reaction of the night, second to the tag team match that opened up the card with Eminem and the Hardys. Um, yeah, that was... I mean, it was what it was. Uh, I guess the, the best part was the, the post-match stuff with Sandman, but other than that, the rest of, this, the rest of that match was just... It was fucking brutal. Um, we have ECW backstage interviewer Rebecca, who looks like she's taking a few loads in the dirt road home back in her day, standing by with Bobby Lashley to discuss the main event. Um, right here, this is a perfect case of them just putting her on TV for her looks and not giving her 
and not teaching her the skills to properly play that role. Not enough experience to be a backstage interviewer. She sounded so rehearsed when she was talking and interacting with him that, like, I forgot she was hot. I mean, that's how bad it was. Um, she then cuts us to a video package showing Heyman Test and Big Show taking out Lashley on a recent episode of ECW. Um, which then results in Lashley commenting on that video saying he doesn't give a damn what Heyman throws at him. He's not given giving up and he won't be stopped until he's the ECW champion. We then get a cut of Big Show walking down the hallway flanked by Paul Heyman, Test, Hardcore Holly, and that armed security that had been uh, you know, accompanying uh, Paul Heyman uh, week after week, um, which kind of further enhances the idea that Heyman and his crew are stacking the deck in this chamber match to their favor. Um, we then cut to another video package highlighting the chamber match and what led up to it. Um, this one a little bit different from the, the show opening video package, but it previews Sabu's involvement. Clearly, the idea of taking him out of the match was, was a last-minute decision, and this didn't make it back to Kevin Dunn in the production truck, that's for sure. Um, or is this another case of the right hand not telling the left hand what they are doing? I don't know, but... Um, Joey Styles then cuts up, comes out of that. Uh, we come out of that video package. Joey Styles reminds us that Sabu is out. Hardcore Holly's in. And Paul Heyman enters the arena with his personal um, armed security. Um, even Heyman, who like ECW fans look at as like a cult-like leader, got a very, very mild reaction. That This crowd, they just don't care anymore. They just want this shit to be over with. They're trying to, you know, last through the rest of the show and 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 rationalize the hard-earned money they paid to sit through this fucking horseshit of a pay-per-view. My God. Um, Heyman cuts a promo informing us that Hulkamania will die when Hulk Hogan is dead. The Woos will die when Ric Flair is dead. But long after his death... ECW will live on forever. And that's all thanks to him. Tonight, Paul Heyman decides to top himself with the Extreme Elimination Chamber. Heyman, who is regarded as being one of the best salesmen in the history of the business, sells us on the importance of this match by pimping out all the participants, calling them the six greatest superstars in ECW history. I mean, let's, let's, let's look at this here for a minute. Big Show. Bobby Lashley, Test, Hardcore Holly, Rob Van Dam, CM Punk. There's probably one guy out of that bunch who ECW fans would consider in that top echelon, in on the Mount Rushmore of ECW, and that's Rob Van Dam. You're forgetting about Tommy Dreamer. You're forgetting about Sandman. You're forgetting about the Dudley Boys. You're forgetting about Shane Douglas, Taz, Sabu. The list goes on and on. There's Terry Funk, Raven. I mean, there is a multitude of guys that you could put on the Mount Rushmore VCW that were not a part of this match. But, of course, you know, this is WWE trying to make us all believe that this version of ECW is better. Um, and normally on, on these podcasts, I try not to shit on as much um, of the bad things that have taken place. I've always tried to create a positive environment and experience, but, man... I knew I was going to be in for it when I watched this, and I just got to let it all out. This was just, this whole show, just a fucking stinker. Like I said, the meal and the end of the date were the best parts of this blind date. But I digress. Allow me to continue. 
Um, Heyman will, will, will bring up in his promo that Sabu is absent from this match and that he would have loved to have seen him compete. Um, crowd chants bullshit on that. And uh, Heyman says that the days of Sabu, RVD, the Sandman, and others have come to an end. He says, this is the new age of the global phenomenon of ECW, led by your champion, The Big Show. As the crowd is uh, voicing their displeasure of Heyman's promo, which I don't think it was, you know, good heat. I think it was that go-away heat, let's just get this shit over with kind of heat, that we paid too much money to watch this crap. Um... The Elimination Chamber is lowered with that, you know, ominous chamber music in the background. You know, that, that, that music? Yeah, I know. That's probably a shitty version of it. But, um, you know, uh, yeah. That, you, you go back and watch it. You'll hear it. You'll, I, you'll totally get it. You'll totally get the reference. Um, Taz tries to describe his experience entering the Elimination Chamber earlier in the day, talking about how he felt weird being in there, and uh, really trying to get the the listeners at home to understand what it was like being inside that Elimination Chamber, Um, which I thought was a a nice little touch, even though the rest of the show has been fucking garbage. Um, Then Joey Styles goes over the rules of the match. Apparently the ring announcer forgot to do that, so that's Styles' job. Um... Four men are loaded into pods. Two men start. After a five-minute period, a pod will open, releasing not only another competitor, but the weapon that's in that pod as well. Eliminations occur by pinfall or submission. This process will continue until the last man remains and is your new ECW World Heavyweight Champion. And here we are. The Extreme Elimination Chamber Match. The Big Show, Rob Van Dam, Test, CM Punk, Hardcore Holly, and Bobby Lashley all set. To battle, the Big Show would enter first, and enter he would enter the pod the pod excuse me with the barbed wire baseball bat. He's also followed by CM Punk, who enters the next pod that has the steel chair. Out next is Test, who enters the pod containing the crowbar. Lashley makes his way out and enters the last pod that contains the folding table. Or, I'm sorry, not the folding table, just the table. I don't know why folding table. I said that, but um, <clears throat> I'll tell you, man. This crowd is hanging on for dear life. I mean, they would have the guys go into the, po- <clears throat> excuse me, go into the pods and, and and pull the weapon out and show the crowd so the crowd can get into it. Crowd was hardly into it. I mean, they like I said, hanging on for dear life. You know, they're they're trying to get into this main event, but they had to sit through a ton of meaningless bullshit. Um, and you could tell by the lack of responses and uh, you know the entrances that you know they just really don't have any more left in them. Um, our first period kicks off with Rob Van Dam and Hardcore Holly. And uh, RVD uh, would use a number of his aerial maneuvers to counter Bob Holly. Um, specifically, that Spider Man spot he does where he jumps off the top rope and he clings on to the chain link fence of the chamber. Um, he would go for a, um, a flying crossbody, but miss Holly, and Holly would uh, then take advantage and. Uh, Put, put put the boots to Van Dam on the steel grating of the chamber. Um, Holly then goes up top and attempts a top rope move, but Rob Van Dam blocks him with his feet, knocking Holly onto the steel grate. That was a pretty ugly bump. Um, I mean, the, the, 
The chamber is a little bit different now in 2019. Um, it's a little more safer. It still hurts, but it's a little more safer. They don't have that steel grate on the the, the that's level and flush with the ring apron anymore. Um, but you know, back in 2006, like there was nothing forgiving about taking a slam on that steel grate. And Holly would take a bad bump, and his head would snap. It wouldn't surprise me if he ended up getting a concussion. I mean, it looked pretty ugly. I kind of winced when I saw it. Um, RVD then delivers a rolling thunder from inside the ring over the top rope onto Holly and the steel grate, which I thought was pretty good. Um, eventually, they would come back, and uh, Holly would suplex Van Dam back into the ring and go for a cover, only to get a two count as this period, the first period's coming to a close. The next pod opens up randomly, and it's CM Punk wielding that steel chair. His entrance got a pretty good pop, I'll say. I think the fans overwhelmingly were behind Punk more than the rest of them. Um, he was the heavy favorite in the match. RVD probably was a close second. Um, yeah, Punk uses the chair on Holly. He he, uh, he he used it on Van Dam at one point. He hits Van Dam in the face, and he takes Van Dam um, and ramps his head into the chair that's propped up into the corner. Um, elbows him in the forehead and gives you know Van Dam uh, uh, a, a nice looking. Uh, uh, elbow to the forehead, cut. You know, now he's covered in blood, um, which brought a pretty cool visual. I mean, someone had to do the blade job, and uh, why not be the ECW original RVD? Um, eventually, he gets slowed down by Holly, who rams him into the chamber structure, and then makes a comeback and works on Punk for a little bit, trying to eliminate him on a couple of occasions, but to no avail. He would then shift his focus back to Van Dam, keeping him down in the corner, and he would take turns beating on both guys for the latter part of this second five-minute period. Um, eventually all three men are down and the pod opens and it's test with the crowbar nailing punk and just about anyone else in sight not named hardcore holly as we know they're part of an alliance with uh with paul Heyman. um van dam still busted open found that chair to use uh to you know for a couple of his uh, signature spots like the rolling thunder and the skateboard um he would then hit a five-star frog splash on Punk and eliminate him from the match, which I thought was a, a, a nice surprise. Um, I wouldn't say nice surprise, but it was definitely a surprise nonetheless. Uh, the crowd was not happy that Punk got sent out first. Um, and then, out of nowhere, Tess turns on Holly and goes for the elimination successfully. Following that... Van Dam goes for a frog splash on top of Big Show's pod, when all of a sudden, Big Show grabs his foot through the chains of the top of that pod, resulting in Tess taking the chair and nailing Van Dam and then sending him flying off the top of the chamber. Tess would then deliver an elbow drop. Of course, Big Show's not going to pull his feet or anything, because, you know, it's, it's not every man for himself, obviously. Um... And he eliminates Van Dam from the match. More bullshit chance from the crowd. Just, you know, they, they know that at this point, this is WWE's fuck you to ECW fans. Even though it's not a traditional ECW crowd, there's still a few ECW diehards in this crowd that know what's going on. Um, eventually, Lashley would enter, and he goes to leave the chamber, but Heyman's security locks him, from, locks him back inside the chamber from the outside. Tess goes to uh, taunt him on the outside through the glass, and Lashley takes the table that's inside of it and jams it through the ceiling of the, the, the pod that breaks the chains and busts himself out. He delivers a top rope clothesline to Tess and continues the assault all over the chamber, ramming him into the open pods to a couple of big pops. Um, 
The crowd is showing their displeasure of the participants left in this match with uh, noticeable boos. I mean, anytime Lashley hit the offense, people were booing. They 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 realized this is what this was designed for to to make Lashley the ECW the face of the the, the ECW brand. They didn't like it whatsoever. Um, after some back and forth between the two, Lashley would spear test for the next elimination. And with a minute and some change left, Big Show is still in the pod. He's the last one to enter. Um, he's receiving advice from Heyman on the outside who warns him of what Bobby Lashley is capable of. And while he's doing that, Lashley is throwing the remaining weapons at Big Show's pod as he waits for him to enter. Show's pod opens eventually, and he brings the barbed wire baseball bat to go after Lashley. Crowd is booing Lashley, or... Just booing the match at this point. They just they're 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 done. Um, Lashley sends Big Show into the pod and busts him open. Another guy with some color, um, and then he would continue the assault until Big Show tossed him back in the ring to take the advantage. He would motion for a choke slam to Bobby Lashley, but Lashley would counter with a DDT. Very sloppy looking one, by the way. Um, the closing moments of this match sees both guys countering each other's offense, which would then lead to Lashley spearing Big Show out of nowhere to become the new ECW champion. Crowd would hardly pop, but pop enough to, like, you could tell that they were relieved. My God, thank God this is over. Let's let's beat the traffic and get out of the parking lot. Holy shit. Um, yeah, this the, the, the match ended at 24 minutes and 42 seconds. This pay-per-view um, closed with Lashley leaving up the ramp to very little response and a pyrotechnics display that was so loud you could hardly hear joey styles signing off and that my friends is what i'd like to call the worst blind date i've ever bet on don't go out of your well no actually go out of your way to watch ecw december to dismember 2002 if you like a train wreck of a wrestling pay-per-view this one's for you um like i said this blind date resembles a you know a date I was once on before, where the meal was good and the end of the date was even better because it was over. Um, that, that that's that's the that's the blind date that you know I can reference to um, when it comes to this pay per view. Yeah, I mean it was just it was just not good at all. And eventually they would never run single branded ECW pay per views again. The ECW brand would maybe have one match on a tri branded pay per view with Raw and SmackDown for a couple of years until um, early 2010 when they did away with the ECW brand and um, and uh, that's when they formed uh, NXT and when NXT became the like it was like a competition show before it was like a regular third brand um, that's how they introduced some young stars um, to WWE but yeah that, that's that does it that's about it for me um, hope you guys enjoyed it hope you guys uh, you know can understand where I'm coming from when I say that this show was probably the worst pay-per-view in wrestling history. Um, not too long after this, as a matter of fact, I believe um, the same evening, Paul Heyman would quit and leave WWE. Um, there were some creative decisions that he was not thrilled with when it came to this pay-per-view. There's a rumor, according to the rumor, that he wanted CM Punk to win the ECW title and be the ECW champion by making everyone tap out to the Anaconda Vice, including Big Show, Um in the extreme elimination chamber match and that you know that's where him and vince i guess butted heads there's a famous story where they had a shouting match on the corporate jet on the way back from the pay-per-view and it was it was just a it, it was it, it was it, it led to the the exit of paul Heyman for a number of years until he would eventually come back in 2012 to manage brock lesnar again but um this was the this this was pretty much the, the the final nail in the coffin. Any hope that um, 
wrestling fans had that WWE was going to present us with an ECW product that was similar to the original, that was done after this pay-per-view. I mean, no no doubt about it. Um, I mean, ECW, to, to many people in the industry um, over the years, was looked at as like a, you know... Um, a feeder system to WWE. WWE would pick up a lot of guys. They worked with ECW, the original ECW. They had a working relationship with them. I mean, you know, Paul Heyman was on the payroll. They did that little mini invasion in, in, in early 1997. Um, WWE would send some guys down to ECW to work, um, you know, some of their shows. And uh, they would help out ECW and, and, and keep things alive for them because they saw that, you know, Paul had a gift to cultivate talent and... Um, and build the stars of the future. And he did just that. So, um, in theory, they kept the ECW name and kept it as a third brand because it was their 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 television version of a developmental territory. They would try guys out on that show and eventually see if they could hang on Raw or SmackDown. That's where we saw the debut of Sheamus. Um Sheamus would, um, you know, have a, a brief run on the ECW brand and then get moved to Raw in the draft only to win the WWE title on his first pay-per-view match, uh, championship match against John Cena. Um, you know, Zack Ryder got his start in singles action on the ECW brand. It was it was used to, to give guys an opportunity, veterans as well as guys that they had an idea of what they wanted to do with and uh, let them hone their craft there. You know, Miz made a, a big name for himself in, in the original, or I'm sorry, in the WWE ECW. John Morrison did as well. CM Punk, who would eventually move to Raw um, and then bounce over to SmackDown. Um, so, I mean, I guess there was a good purpose out of it that, like, you know, in name, it wasn't the original ECW, but in theory of what ECW used to be behind the scenes when it came to cultivating talent, that's what this third brand was um, that would eventually end in 2010. So, uh, yeah, that's what came of it. And, uh, you know, I, I think I'm done here discussing this abomination of a pay-per-view. And hopefully the next Blind Date Diary I cover uh, will not be a pay-per-view as bad as this one um, who knows but um we'll probably have another blind date diaries concept coming for you in early 2020 as a matter of fact if i look at my schedule currently the next one that's tentatively scheduled is wrestle war 1990 from february of 1990 the main event rick flair and sting for the nwa world heavyweight championship steiners freebirds road warriors the andersons the horsemen um all the big names um Cactus Jack, uh, all the big names for uh, you know NWA, WCW at that time be a, will be a part of that show. I've never watched that show before, so hopefully it's a good show, and uh, I'll hope to uh, give you guys a um, a better blind date recap than I did with this one. Um, and that about does it this week. Thank you all so very much for sticking with me, you know, and and. Uh, roughing it out when it came to this blind date um next week i'm not sure what i'm gonna do honestly um it's you know we, we creep closer to the holidays and i've thought about maybe doing a holiday themed episode last year i did the naughty list uh where i where i gave you guys all the naughty 
boys and girls in professional wrestling history and why they made the list. Maybe next week I'll do the nice list and I'll give you all the good boys and girls in pro wrestling history and what they did to make the nice list. Um, if I don't do that, then I'll probably maybe recap something involving Starcade or um, you know a, a random pay-per-view. Who knows? But it's up for grabs right now what I'm going to be covering next week. In two weeks, Trading Places is going to make its final appearance on Kicking Out at 2 in the year 2019 as we are going to discuss Sting versus Hollywood Hogan from Starcade 1997. That's right. Um, the most controversial match in WCW history. I'm going to pick that apart. What if Hulk Hogan defeated Sting clean in the middle to keep the WCW title? What if Nick Patrick didn't screw up the finish? What if Bret Hart played a different role in this match than he did originally in 1997 as the special guest referee? We'll find out and then some when it comes to trading places. Sting versus Hollywood Hogan from Starcade 1997. I'm, I'm looking forward to that one. That one's going to be a lot of fun. Uh, to discover, dis uh, discuss, dissect um, all the what-if scenarios and, and how Sting and Hogan and the other major players involved in that storyline, where they go following the results getting flip-flopped. Because as we all know, you know, 22 years ago, Sting would walk out of that pay-per-view the world champion, his first match back in over a year. And um, it was a huge moment for WCW in that storyline with the NWO. But there was a lot of controversy surrounding it on screen and behind the camera so um we're gonna get into all that and see that how that plays plays into our signature role reversal um when it comes to trading places here on kicking out of two and then we're gonna end the year we're gonna end 2019 with a secret santa watch along um Christmas Day, I'm scheduled to drop this show, but I know a lot of you folks have plans on Christmas Day, spend time with loved ones, and you're not going to want to listen to a podcast. So I may drop it a little bit early, may drop it a couple days beforehand, but um, you know, it's there for you to listen whenever you want. Even if you want to listen on Christmas Day, you can as well. Um, we're going to do a Secret Santa Watch Along. I took some, uh, some, some choices from some of my co-hosts, as well as some folks on social media, of particular matches or events that you would want to watch if you were to show someone who's never watched wrestling before, what, what would you show a non-wrestling fan? Um, and there's been some great choices, so I'm going to pick out of a hat and choose one of those, and then we're going to sit back and we're going to watch that um, uh, over over a, a nice cup of hot cocoa in front of the Christmas tree here on Kicking Out at Two. And that's that, that about does it for the schedule for the end of 2019. This is always a lot of fun. Enjoyed doing this with you. Thank you all for your support. Continue to you know like us on social media, share the pages. Share the links to the archive shows. Tell a friend. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a Conrad Thompson podcast. I'm not an overly produced podcast. I'm just some guy that's sitting in his basement with all his wrestling memorabilia. Um, finished basement, by the way. And it's my basement, not my parents' basement. I own the home, um, for those of you that are wondering. So don't think that it's a wrestling fan stereotype. Um, who just likes to talk wrestling and shoot the shit and give you my retrospective opinion not as an expert, but just as a fan, as a regular guy, um, and someone with a, 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 I would like to think, a credible opinion. Um, so uh, tell everyone, you know, hit us up on social media, like, follow, rate, review, kicking out at two, and be a part of all the fun that we have, because I love... I love doing these every week, and I love being a part of this each and every week with all you guys. So uh, I think it's about that time that I end this rant and put this show down for the three count. This blind date is over. Thank fucking God, because I am just about done with ECW December 2, December 2006. And we will see you all next week.